1: Someone who has provided uh, a lot of answers on this question and uh, somebody that has studied this issue for many, many years is not only a warrior, but he is a scholar, not only a Ph.D., but a decorated military veteran it gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome colonel douglas mcgregor retired u.s army colonel former senior advisor to the secretary of defense author and a senior fellow at the american conservative colonel i know you're very much in demand these days i appreciate you joining me
0: oh sure happy to do that frank
1: uh, Colonel, we spoke, I think, back in December, the last time that we were on the radio together. And at that time, if I remember your analysis of the uh, Eastern European situation, you had indicated that you thought that Putin would go into um, eastern Ukraine, the Donbass region, but that you thought that he would stop uh, essentially at the Napier River and not go to the west. It seems like this invasion has indeed gone uh, to all of Ukraine. Is that a fair characterization of how Putin has ta- has used this invasion?
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, he stayed east of the Dnieper River. Uh, he did? Okay. Two-thirds, of Ukra- two-thirds of Ukraine has not been attacked, and there is no evidence that he wants to attack it. He seized exactly what I thought he would, the Russian-speaking areas, and what you're seeing on television are images many of which are false, some of which are accurate, most of which are very misleading, suggesting that there is some great national uprising against the Russians in eastern Ukraine. There isn't. There are areas where there's resistance and lots of areas where there isn't any resistance. And he, as I said, has stayed behind that river. Uh, What he's done is he's appealed to Zelensky to essentially put down the arms and stop fighting. Uh, he currently has surrounded concentrations of Ukrainian forces in towns and cities. Uh, the three largest cities are in Russian hands for all intents and purposes. Uh, Kiev is surrounded. He has not gone into it because he doesn't want to damage it. In fact, uh, the entire approach that the Russian army has taken is to minimize property damage and to try and avoid killing as many people as possible. hmm Uh, This is something people don't understand. They keep saying, well, where are all these massive assaults and Blitzkrieg tactics, well, that's not what you're going to see because he doesn't want to do it.
1: So uh, and, I, didn't, I, I didn't realize that your prediction from December was right on the money, that he hasn't gone yeah, uh, to the yeah. West. Uh, and just in general, I want you to reiterate what you just said, if you would. And I'm sorry to interrupt to ask you to reiterate. But uh, again, I guess it's the host's prerogative at some at you know, occasionally. It, the media narrative, and it doesn't matter whether it's conservative networks like Fox, for the most part, with the notable exception of Tucker Carlson or uh, liberal networks like MSNBC and CNN, the media narrative has been that um, Putin is a, a Hitler style madman uh, on par with some of the worst dictators in history. And he has this uh, bloodlust that uh, can only be satiated by going into all of Ukraine. You seem to uh, think Putin is behaving much better than all that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Putin is not a Hitlerite figure at all. Uh, He's a a Russian nationalist, a devout Orthodox Christian, and he reveres his country's history, uh, its culture, uh, its way of life. And he's set out to essentially prevent us from stationing on Ukrainian soil missiles and forces designed to hold a knife at the throat of Russia which is exactly what we've been up to now for the last 15 years, probably 20. Uh, he's not going to accept it, and he's told us that repeatedly. He suggested that we renounce any intention of bringing Ukraine into NATO. We refuse to do it. And people say, well, that was really never on the table. But it's been his experience that uh, whenever he has not asked for some sort of guarantee, he stood by and watched as more and more... Countries bordering the, the Russian state have become members of NATO, and he doesn't want it to continue. That's the first thing. The second thing is these areas that he's currently moved into are historically Russian. The U- Ukraine, which means uh, on the edge, Ukraine, uh, is really the area beyond uh, the Dnieper River. And that area is the heartland of Ukraine. That's the the breadbasket, as we say, of Europe. That's the the rich black earth. And he's not interested in going in there because he knows the population there is actually different and distinct and has a long history of being westernized, uh, either with the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth for 400 years or under Austrian or German or Swedish domination. Uh, So he understands his own region and his own country, but he wants it to be neutral. And I think what we're going to find is that when he gets into these discussions with Zelensky, he's going to offer to neutralize and leave independent uh, the territory that's west of the Dnieper River. I don't know what he's going to do with the east, whether he plans to stay there, make it part of Russia, set it up as an independent Russian republic called the Ukrainian Russian Republic or something of that nature. I have no idea. But he's certainly not going to turn it back over to an independent state that could conceivably invite foreign forces into it.
1: If and if people at your team were talking with Colonel Douglas McGregor, decorated, retired U.S. Army colonel, former senior advisor to the secretary of defense. He was also uh, President Trump's nominee to be ambassador to Germany, although uh, that uh, ambassadorship didn't ultimately come to fruition. Uh, is Did Vladimir Putin need to go into uh, Ukraine once they had the guarantee from Biden and, uh, and, and other countries that they would not send troops? Troops to repel Russian forces. Uh, it would seem to it, it would it would seem to reason. It would stand to reason that once America says we're not sending troops into Ukraine, that we wouldn't honor any Article Five treaty invocation if Ukraine were to be a part of NATO, and that would seem to alleviate some of Putin's stated concerns about NATO aggression on its border. Did he need to do this?
0: Uh, he's not willing to bet on promises made by Biden or any other president. Uh, president George Bush Senior made it abundantly clear. It was coda, it was uh, memorialized in in documents uh, among the foreign ministers of Great Britain, the United States, and Germany that and France that uh, we under no circumstances would admit Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. Hungary, Slovakia, or Romania to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. We made it very clear that we would not exploit the vacuum that would be left once Soviet forces withdrew from those states, those countries. Uh, That was ignored, and Bill Clinton began the process of bringing in Poland, and then subsequently uh, his successors continued that process until all of those former Warsaw Pact countries became members of NATO. And then, of course, we pushed our forces into those areas, conducting military exercises within 50 nautical miles of Russian territory, St. Petersburg in the Baltic. We began moving into the Black Sea. Uh, As a result, he concluded, we've been lied to repeatedly for decades. They're now moving as close as they can, and that's why he went into Crimea in 2014 because it was clear to him that eventually Crimea would become a NATO naval base, and he would have U.S. and allied warships docking there and using it as a platform. Remember, those places are within striking distance of many, many areas of strategic importance to Russia, across the Black Sea, to Iran, to the Caucasus, even into Central Asia. And as a result, he felt compelled to act. Uh, He thought that by seizing Crimea, he would send an unambiguous signal. Instead, we chose to attack him for uh, effectively annexing something which Russia has controlled since 1776, as long as we've been a nation. And uh, having failed once again in his appeals to Biden and this administration, uh, he did talk to Trump and he felt confident that Trump understood his position But President Trump turned out to be unable to control the bureaucracy and uh, the Congress, which was hell-bent to be anti-Russian. And Mm -hmm. we know the story about the Russian hoax. As a result, we get Biden, and Biden immediately pours buckets of filth and abuse all over President Putin and the Russian state. So I think he concluded, I've got no choice. I'd better act because I'll wake up and find that once again, I've been lied to, and and the forces will be on our borders. and we will have essentially the equivalent of Pershing-2 missiles, which is a hypersonic missile, always was, uh, within a few minutes of reaching Moscow. And he didn't want to risk that.
1: It, on Sunday, there was news that uh, President Putin has ordered his nuclear forces, Russia's nuclear forces, on alert. Uh, what exactly does that mean uh, for those of us that are laymen and may not have a military background? Does that bring us a little closer to a nuclear confrontation?
0: Well, it's very clear to me that under no circumstances is President Putin going to initiate a nuclear strike. He's made that clear on numerous occasions. And I think the reason he's done this is to make it abundantly clear that if the United States should consider a strike against Russia, that they're prepared for it and will respond instantly. Uh, I think his great concern at this point is being attacked uh, by the United States and NATO, not with conventional forces, because he knows that the conventional ground forces are in poor condition. NATO alliance is a a military facade. Uh, We have sprinkled light troops uh, along his border, but they're incapable of mounting an offensive into Russia. But I think he is concerned about our potential willingness to use nuclear weapons. You've got to remember that you just had this uh, Senator Wicker from, I think it's Mississippi, who, with another delegation, which was uh, overwhelmingly Democratic, except for, I think, Wicker and and Senator Johnson, who uh, flew to Kiev and promised all sorts of support and assistance and said, we're here to show our solidarity. And, of course, Wicker had made it clear that he thought that the United States should be ready to use nuclear weapons against Russia in order to keep uh, Putin and Russia out of Ukraine. So I think uh, this is this is his way of saying if you're even seriously considering it don't mm. because if you do I'll respond
1: what is the status? And I know you have forces. I know you have sources on uh, both sides of the Russia-Ukrainian border. I'm curious if you can tell us what the status of the war is now. How bad is it in terms of casualties? And how much territory do the Russians actually control within what we know as territorial Ukraine? Uh,
0: the eastern side of the Dnieper River. All those areas within the border of the current construct known as Ukraine, uh, those areas are under Russian control. <clears throat> what the Russians have done, and they've only used about 50 percent of the forces at their disposal right now, is that they have attacked and uh, forced Ukrainian forces that would not surrender into areas where they have been encircled uh, one of the largest of these is uh, in southeast Ukraine, north of Odessa, where about 40,000, some people think 50,000 Ukrainian troops have been surrounded. And they've done this at various uh, towns and cities because the Ukrainian forces understand they have no air defense. They have no air support. They have no mobility. They have no logistical infrastructure and limited ammunition. Uh Putin gave strict instructions to the army that he's not interested in killing these people. He would prefer they lay down their arms and simply go home. Large numbers, by the way, have done that, though the U.S. media and British media are not reporting it. And he said if they'll lay down their arms and go home, we're finished with them. But if they will not surrender, then he will annihilate them. And he controls Kharkiv. He controls Odessa. He is surrounded Kiev. And as I said, the other concentrations in smaller towns, uh, they're standing by waiting for orders from Putin. And Putin has called Zelensky and said, look, we're not interested in killing these people. We need, we need to put an end to this fighting. We need to meet. He's already already made it clear that he's willing to neutralize Western Ukraine. And that's two-thirds of the country. He's, he's sitting on one-third of the country right now. And again, I don't know what the outcome will be. But I know that President Biden, I think he's right on this, has told Zelensky, if you have the opportunity to agree to neutrality, we will back you. And that's the right answer, because right now, listening to people in Washington and other places, they're all willing to send arms. They won't send any troops. You know, if you're not willing to fight for something, then it's wrong to ask other human beings to sacrifice themselves in a fight they can't win, and right. that's what we're doing right now. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I, I want to I come back to the issue of lethal aid in just a moment. And I appreciate you being uh, so uh, generous with your time this late at night. But um, we're, I mentioned you were President Trump's nominee to be the ambassador to Germany. We're seeing a bit of a shift from Germany in, in, on foreign policy in general from them and specifically with Russia's Russia policy specifically. They're now sending heavy weaponry to Ukraine. They're going along with these uh, sanctions against Russia, they've indicated that they're going to up their spending to NATO to what's required of them 2% of their GDP, which historically they've never met. Um, What do you attribute this to? Oh, and they're not going to uh, continue to buy energy from Russia through the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. What do you attribute this change in tone from Germany to?
0: Well, I think you have politicians in Western Europe who are very similar to the politicians we have. They tend to follow public opinion. They don't lead it. And I think that they're feeling pressure as a result of the kind of pictures and images and messages being sent by the media to the public. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, and that's unfortunate because the German leadership knows better. Secondly, I think uh, he's decided to go with the flow, uh, in other words, with everybody else in Europe, which is very dangerous, because without that natural gas access from Russia, uh, the Germans are going to be very badly hurt. They will have to turn almost entirely to the Middle East, and that's a very dangerous dependence, dependency, far more in my estimation than any kind of dependency on Russia. People, people need to understand, Russia is not the Soviet Union. It doesn't have those kinds of forces at its disposal. Its economy is about the same as Spain's and smaller than that of South Korea that only has 49 million people. And it's not very diverse. It's very dependent on timber, metals, oil, gas, so forth. They don't build products that people uh, want to buy. But they have a, a wonderful market through China and in the rest of Asia, I would argue. Even though the Japanese may say publicly we'll support sanctions, uh, they're just going to buy the stuff from the Chinese that came out of Russia. The Germans then are in a very difficult position. I don't think it will last. And I think the Germans will be badly hurt by this, and I predict that it will fall apart. The second thing is the financial sanctions aren't going to work because the Swiss system is, is not going to be able to harm Russia the way it has harmed others. Russia has $689 billion in gold. Uh, if they do nothing, export nothing, produce nothing in two, for two years, they're still going to be in very good shape. Their debt-to-GDP ratio is about 18%, which is almost nothing. Our debt-to-GDP ratio is over 140, or some people think much higher percentage. Same thing is true in Germany. Uh, we're having to service debt We're dealing with enormous problems in our own countries. Europe has serious problems, just as we do. Russia is far more stable, frankly, than people realize. And they have become accustomed to living without access to us and to become almost autarkic. So I think uh, we're on the losing side in this process. We're not going to get the results that we want, but we will uh, succeed in cultivating a very serious enemy in Moscow that is armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons, has a very competent and capable uh, conventional force, when, in fact, we should be seeking better relations with them. And uh, at the same time, there's no support in the United States for committing U.S. forces to anything in Europe and Eastern Europe period, and there's no support among the European public to fight the Russians over anything. So in the final analysis, the question is, why are we doing this when we don't want to fight for it? The Russians are willing to fight for what they believe in and for what they think is vital to their national strategic interest. We are not. It's so, not vital to us. It, so clear. what in the hell are we doing?
1: Well, so it's very clear you're not in favor of sending American troops to Ukraine to repel this Russian invasion. Uh, you make a strong case for not upping or continuing sending lethal aid to Ukraine which will not make the difference in a war with uh, the Ukrainians and, uh, and the Russians. W- uh, what should America do now? You've advised the Secretary of defense before, if the current secretary of defense, the current secretary of state, or the president were to ask your view of, given everything that's happened, all the mistakes that have been made by the United States, by Russia, by Ukraine, uh, the, with the situation as it is, what should the United States do going
2: forward?
0: Well, I think that we, <clears throat> we should make it clear that our preeminent concern is to end this violence as soon as possible, and we offer. Support for any solution that preserves the Ukrainian state's prosperity and existence. And therefore, we will support President Zelensky, as President Biden has already said, if he is offered neutrality. We will end any further discussion of expanding NATO. We will recognize legitimate national security interests that Russia has. And I think that privately, we should urge the people that border Russia, to find a way to get along with their neighbors. One of the problems that we have with NATO, we've expanded this thing to 32 members. It's outrageous. I mean, you can't hold an alliance together in war with that. It's, it's very difficult in peacetime. All of them have different interests. But under no circumstances do we want the tail to wag the dog. That is, we don't want to be hostage to the interests of little states that have a, an agenda that may be hostile to a neighboring state like Russia and be dragged into a conflict that we have no part in, no interest in. And so we, we really need to encourage people, first of all, to be their own first responders because we can't get there anymore quickly enough to effectively prevent a high-end conventional force uh, from attacking them and defeating them. These are, these are realities that, that are not going to change because we want them to. But I think the underlying point that that I really think we need to understand is that these people who are fighting, and it's not everybody, as, as the media has shown in eastern Ukraine by a long shot, most people just want this thing to end. We're asking them to continue to die pointlessly. In fact, within the next 96 hours, thousands who could be annihilated because we keep telling them not to not to capitulate and not to negotiate an end to this when they cannot possibly win and will be destroyed. That that is not what we as Americans ought to be doing.
1: If there is no uh, change in tone from the West, if there is no change in tone from Zelensky, although there was some uh, reports over the weekend that um, that there were some uh, there was some progress in terms of diplomatic talks between Zelensky and and Putin. But you have written for uh, the national interest and a lot of other publications about what you thought Putin would do heretofore at this point. What do you think Putin does next?
0: I think that Putin uh, wants to avoid any conflict with NATO. He's not interested in invading anybody. Uh, He's interested in securing the Russian people and the Russian state from any potential danger that in his mind NATO represents to them. But that does not uh, require him to invade Lithuania, Latvia or Estonia. He has no interest in that. He has no interest in challenging Poland or Romania. He would like to have good relations and do business with these people. But he is not going to allow Ukraine to become a forward operating base for NATO and people, frankly, in the United States government that are interested in regime change in Russia. You have to understand that they went through this regime change experience uh, first in Kiev, in which we played a very prominent role. We then tried it recently in, in Belarussia. It failed, and the president of Belarussia appealed to Putin for help, and Putin said, I'm not going to allow Belarusia to become another Ukraine. So now you have Russian forces in Belarusia where there were none previously, and I'm quite certain that some Russian forces will stay there permanently as a result. Then you have the problem in Ukraine, and Ukraine is, is a, a long-standing invasion approach into Russia. There are two approaches, one to the north, on one side of the Pripet marshes, and one on the south. And he's not going to allow either of these invasion routes to be occupied by potential enemies. And no matter what we say publicly, the truth is that we have been extremely hostile to Russia over the last 20 years. And we have done many things to them to humiliate them, to undermine them and erode their sense of self-respect, and to hurt their economy. We've already got sections imposed on him that make absolutely no sense over this Crimea business. We're treating this construct for Ukraine that, that was pulled out of the air in the 1950s and some somewhat earlier by the communists whose entire me- mythology or methodology was to pit people against each other inside the old Soviet empire pit them against each other in such a way that they would never threaten the center or Moscow. And that included creating this Ukrainian construct that we have today. He knows this. He's not going to tolerate it. And he's put an end to it. Now, the question is, he wants an end to the fighting. He doesn't want to kill any more people. He certainly doesn't want to destroy anything. I mean, it was interesting to me that yesterday there was this claim that the Russians had attacked these oil containment facilities and blowing everything up was nonsense the ukrainians did that this is the sort of crap that comes through our media no one questions anything and so you get lie upon lie upon lie they were talking about the heroic stand of a ukrainian battalion on snake island near the romanian border just not far from odessa saying they fought to the last man because they hate russians well that's not nonsense very few were killed And they're all sitting in a POW camp in Crimea. Well, This kind of thing has been going on and on. There are plenty of places where the Russians have been welcomed by people, where they haven't had a shot fired at them. We don't talk about that. The situation is very different from what it's... Depicted by the United States media. Well, it's so we interesting. Don't want
1: to be in this. Th- there are so there are a few people that are willing to question the conventional media narrative. I'd put myself in that category of of uh, how th- of how this has unfolded. Now, whether it's me, whether it's much more prominent people uh, like you, like Tulsi Gabbard, uh, people on the right like Pat Buchanan, people on the left like Katrina Vanden Heuvel and Gren- and uh, Glenn Greenden uh, glenn greenwald or, or uh, the you know dsa the democratic socialists of america Immediately, if you deviate one centimeter from whatever the the conventional wisdom is on this issue, you're labeled as a Russian stooge, a useful idiot, or somebody that is spouting Kremlin propaganda. I'm not sure how I, I – I'm not sure I understand how that sort of uh, shouting down and bullying anybody that has a differing view is conducive to – effective foreign policy discussion.
0: Well, it's also uh, very damaging to policy development and implementation. It's not very democratic. Uh, When FDR was president in the 30s and throughout the Second World War, many, many prominent people, uh, George Kennan is well known, but there are several others. Ambassador Bullitt, who went to Moscow, uh, several spoke out. And said, Look, Stalin is the enemy of Western civilization. There is no interest that binds us to the Soviet Union. Many were very blunt, saying, If anything, he represents a far greater danger to the West than Hitler. We have no interest in rescuing the Soviet Union or involving ourselves in any way to support them. Anyone who spoke out against communism and the Communist Party of the Soviet Union that murdered, Millions long before the Second World War began and maintained concentration camps in great numbers long before there was a single one anywhere in Germany or Eastern Europe, they were fired. FDR got rid of them. Now we have the same thing in reverse. Those of us who are saying, no, this is not the Soviet Union. This is not what it appears to be. Your interpretation is wrong. And we are cultivating conflict and hostility where it doesn't have to exist, where instead we should be an honest broker trying to help find solutions and stop pretending that Moscow and Putin is Stalin and the Soviet Union. And we are all being attacked. It's a very strange set of circumstances, mm. but in a way, it's history repeating itself, although in a different way.
1: So, uh, Sunday evening, you were on Fox News with uh, Trey Gowdy, and they had a reporter, Jennifer Griffin, on right afterwards. And she essentially said that uh, the kind of uh, – this is her characterization, not mine – the kind of appeasement talk that, you're, uh, that you were talking with Trey Gowdy about uh, r- r- is exactly what made Vladimir Putin think he could move into a sovereign country like Ukraine.
2: I feel like I need to correct some of the things that Colonel Doug McGregor just said, because, and I'm not sure 10 minutes is enough time to do so, because there were so many distortions in what he just said and talking about the West and NATO vilifying Putin and sounding like an apologist for Putin and talking about how he thinks he knows how far Putin wants to go. I don't think anyone that I've spoken to uh, here at the Pentagon or elsewhere in uh, Western intelligence believes they know how far Putin wants to go to go. And I think that the world has seen what Putin is capable of. And to blame uh, NATO membership for what we've seen Putin unleash, we've seen from Putin's own words that he is talking in czarist terms from a, 18th, a 19th century view of uh, empirical, Im- imperial Russia. So those, uh, what he just said was so distorted that I do feel that our audience needs to know the truth. In terms of Putin, I've known uh, and seen uh, Vladimir Putin operates since 1999 when I was based in Moscow for Fox. It's where I started my career with Fox. And Vladimir Putin is a former KGB agent. He's been laying the groundwork for this, and he's been, uh, whether it was invading. Georgia in 2008, we've talked about the invasion in 2014, the kind of appeasement talk that Colonel Doug McGregor, who should know better, because when he was in government, he was the one who was advising uh, President Trump to pull all U.S. troops out of Germany. That kind of uh, projection of withdrawal and weakness is what made Putin think that he could actually move into a sovereign country like Ukraine.
1: What do you make of uh, Jennifer Griffin's criticism?
0: Well, the opposite is the case. It was our unwillingness to listen to anything that Putin said, to consider his case for an alternative to Ukraine, Ukrainian membership in NATO. That's what led to this has nothing to do with appeasement. But Jennifer Griffin is, frankly, a neocon. She's a well-known neocon who's strong advocate for interventions by the United States everywhere in the Middle East or Asia or Europe or anywhere else. Uh, And her characterization is the standard neocon narrative. Everybody the neocons want to attack is instantly Hitler. And we're back in the 1930s on our way to Munich to sign away uh, Czechoslovakia or something in 1938. This is a tired trope, a tired uh, mantra. It has nothing to do with what's happening today or the events and the people that are involved. But this is a, the standard playbook that uh, the neocons have used. And the neocons are almost entirely now identified with the left, but we still have a lot on the right. And we have a lot of misguided people that see some political advantage to standing up and signing on for this uh, mythology and fiction about Putin and Ukraine. Finally, Uh, And we have no interest there. I mean, this is the key thing. We have no interest there. Well, The only interest we have there and have ever had there is to forestall a war to prevent the, this from happening. We could have done that. We refuse to do so.
1: Finally, sir, a lot of listeners are concerned that this will lead to China going into Taiwan, seeing the Biden reaction and the handling of this crisis will embolden Xi to go into Taiwan. One, do you think that's likely? And if China does go into Taiwan, what if what response, if any, should America have to that?
0: Well, first of all, no, I, <clears throat> I don't subscribe to that Xi. Has no interest in any conflict anywhere. In fact, Xi has been extremely concerned about what Putin has done, not because he disagrees with him. He understands the logic and the rationale for it, and he sympathizes with him. But remember that Xi is trying to build this enormous network called the One Belt, One Road across Central Asia through Russia and Ukraine into Europe. He's trying to build an alternative commercial transportation route because, quite frankly, Uh, He's afraid that we'll blockade China at some point from the sea, and he desperately needs to have that overland commerce in order to supply and sustain China's economy. So I don't see much evidence that he would do that. Frankly, the Chinese Navy is not very good. Uh, Moving all of those forces 90 miles across water to try and reach Taiwan is an enormous endeavor. don't see any evidence that they're doing that or want to do it. And then finally... Uh, Taiwan has become the, the high-end producer of, of microcircuitry in the world, something that we used to do before we exported it overseas. And Japan and China and the United States all depend very heavily on it. No one wants to destroy it, the Chinese least of all. So I don't see much evidence for that. In fact, there are two parties on Taiwan. One is pro-Tokyo. The other is pro-Beijing. They're both neck and neck, and the pro-Beijing party is the old Chiang Kai-shek party that advocates for reunification with China. So I think that that whole thing is a mirage, and uh, I don't know why people keep saying it except that it's it's pushed through the media by some of the same people like Jennifer Griffin and others who seem to be in the hunt for another war and another enemy at a point in time when, frankly, we don't have to do that. China is many things, but a military enemy is not one of them.
1: Colonel, uh, it is always enlightening to talk with you. It is uh, a real pleasure to talk with you, especially when there's so many significant events unfolding around the world. And if we're both sent to an anti-Russian re-education camp, I hope we get to be cellmates, sir.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, let's uh, let's hope we we don't do that. But there are clearly some people that probably would like to set those up. I,
1: I don't doubt it. Colonel Douglas McGregor, retired U.S. Army Army colonel, former senior advisor to the secretary of defense, author, senior fellow at the American conservative and President Trump's nominee to be ambassador to Germany.